the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Reverend. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Good morning. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, talking investments, talking retirement, and all things in between. Don't be shy. Give me a call. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. <clears throat> we can talk about the stock market. We can talk about how much money you should have at what age. Are you a saver or are you a spender? What's that even mean? Harsh winter hit the economy more than expected. U.S. economy contracted at an annual rate of about 1% in the first quarter, worse than the government's initial reading a month ago. It's the first quarterly decline since a 1.3% drop in 2011. Two quarters in a row, and we're in quote-unquote a recession. This is one quarter, and we're blaming the weather. In the end... <clears throat> This is the type of news that we don't much care about on Wall Street because it's history. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Fair? Or not? I don't know. See if you're with me, see if you're against me. I don't know. Right? Anything you want to talk about today, we can talk about. Um, Yesterday, market's winning streak ended at four sessions. So some modest losses, nothing crazy. Key points of intrigue were the 10-year treasury yesterday, in my opinion. Again, just, you know, hitting at 2.44%, which has not been seen since June 2013. Um, The Dow Jones transportation average hit another record high, which those are two very interesting data points from yesterday. The 10-year Treasury, again, opens up debate of how bad is the economy, but also with the 10-year Treasury as low as it is, it, it says, well, the Fed's by stopping their tapering, and this shouldn't be happening. And the economy is not exactly strong, so this should be happening, but it's still at incredible low levels, so it's interesting. 10-year Treasury is really a, a good dilemma. So as it's low, it helps companies borrow money. And companies are borrowing money and buying other companies. Companies are borrowing money and paying back their debt. Companies are borrowing money and uh, using it for future investment. It's better to borrow cheap than it is expensive, right? That's, everyone can understand that. 
Tyson's Foods has entered the food fight with a competing $6.8 billion all-cash bid for Hillshire Brands. That follows the Heels of Pilgrim's Pride $6.4 billion offer earlier this week. M&A activity helps redirect the stock market's books back to evaluations and away from things like first quarter GDP, which was, again, a horrible number in hindsight. Now, we could print T-shirts that says first quarter GDP contracted, all I got is a stupid T-shirt, or we can move on. I kind of like the first, but either or is okay with me. If you're with me, if not, you're against me, please choose a side, because this is a civil war. SP 500 is up 2, the Dow is up 5, NASDAQ up 9, 9, 9. <clears throat> um, pending home sales in month of April rose but fell short of expectations. Again, continuing that trend of housing great now, but it's not looking so great in the near-term future. Apple confirmed it's going to buy Beats for $3 billion. What's interesting to note about that is there's kind of an acqui hire that goes on there, like in Jimmy Levine, who seems to really know the music industry. Um, iTunes is a mess right now. iTunes radio it has a lot of users, but financially it's done nothing. It hasn't driven any music sales at all. So Apple needs Beats to become relevant again. Beats is something that's coming out with much cooler, more in tune with young people place. Once you get Apple's power behind that, it's a good way to get them stepped up in the music business it is now. So I, I think there's something interesting going on there. You know, to say that music is dying is a pretty powerful statement. The number of new releases on iTunes this year is the smallest ever. Growth of iTunes sales has stalled. Apple's earbuds are not considered great. So yesterday, Apple announced that it acquired you know, Beats for $3 billion, a high-profit headphone business. Eddie Q and Beats CEO Jimmy Levine sat in for an interview, and a lot came out of it. <clears throat> so Eddie Q, who is a big Apple executive, said music's dying, hasn't been growing. That's a pretty big statement. <clears throat> Beats is a great subscription music service that Apple can make in a big business because it has a lot more customers, knows what the customers listen to, and has an easy way for them to pay for things. Beats is good in that it provides users with curated playlists. When you bring what Beats has got and what Apple has got, it's not 2 plus 2 is 4, it's Bigger than that. So we'll see where this goes. Is it going to be a play on subscriptions? They seem to be telling us that it is. We'll work with that for now. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. One thing that's kind of bugging me on Apple, and I own shares of Apple... It's it's almost summertime, right? Or it is summertime. And Apple has said that we're going to see crazy amounts of new stuff in 2014. Apple has said it's going to be our best year ever as far as introducing new stuff. And yet, here we are. The calendar is about to turn to the 6th. 
Last time I checked, there's 12 months in the year. We're almost halfway through the year. And nothing yet so far, right? So it'll be interesting to see how Apple plays, because ultimately it's a later this year story. So that's a pretty bold promise for a company that says, we've got the best pipeline that I've ever seen in 25 years. You know, this is a company that's got product iPod, iPhone, iPad, MacBook Air. We're all kind of like, ooh. So we're going to get a big screen iPhone. That's expected. So a 4-inch screen is going to become a 4.7-inch screen. Maybe a 5.5-inch screen. But that's probably further in the future. Apple TV, they've probably got some sort of new hardware update there. Maybe content relationship coming, question mark. iPad Pro, which is expected to be bigger than an iPad with a 12 to 13 inch screen. It also may be able to double as laptop replacement, which is a bit of a problem. iWatch, uh, able to track your health and fitness. We'll see. Eli Lilly said Cialis, their tablet, has been improved in the United States for a treatment on impotence. They're trying to get it to be sold over-the-counter in 2018. That's the year that their patents expire and competition is allowed to move in on generics and effectively dry up their considerable profits. Cialis generated $2.16 billion in sales last year. Lily's fourth best-selling drug ever. There's a play on the generics for sure. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Don't be shy, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. It's Rob Black and your money. You can find me online at robblack.com. I'm doing 50 a week still. I stay close to the heat. And even when I was close to the feet, I rode to my feet. My life's like a soundtrack. I rode to Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. You're listening to me, Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more. Let's go to Travis. How are you, Travis? Travis is on the phone. Hello. Go ahead. Hello. Go ahead, Travis. I, I got you. Okay, this is Lance, not Travis. But anyway, uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm on Highway 5, just first-time listener. Uh, here's the deal. I got an 85-year-old, my mother, who has 300000 in cash after she just sold her home, and she's living in an independent living facility. And uh, we need to try and make that money last as long as possible. She needs about $3,000 a month in income. And I'm getting all sorts of different advice on where to put it. It's all over the board. Of course, it's got to be safe and somewhat liquid, at least a certain amount of that. Uh, and I'm just looking for some advice. Okay, so she needs $3,000 a month, right? Yes. So let's figure that out to be $36,000. Is that on top of her Social Security? 
Yeah, she's got Social Security and a little bit of retirement, so she she got a couple thousand dollars a month, uh, but her her expenses are about five thousand dollars a month. Okay, and how's her health? Uh, it's okay. She uses a walker to get around. Um, she's got some issues. She's had a uh, quadruple bypass probably five years ago, but uh, she seems to be in pretty good health. I mean, we're figuring she'd go another 10 years or so, just as a guess. Okay, so she's got more than enough money then, because you're talking about $36,000 a year, 300000 10 years, 360 So she might run out of money in the last couple of years. If she just takes right. cash, like right. she takes so a we, cash, like so we're wondering if we could find a, a vehicle that actually earns something greater than three percent without risking the principal. Yeah, well, there's no, you know, that that's a fantasy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that's what I'm finding because people are recommending these advisors. Well, we'll put you in this REIT, and then we'll do this, and then we'll get, or you could. Another advisor says, we, you'll get this annuity. You put the 300K in, it'll pay her $3,000 uh, or $30,000 a year. I think, uh, she's way too, I, think she's, I think she's way too old for an annuity. And annuity salespeople yeah. make big, fat commissions, and management fees are high. So if you give $300,000 to an insurance guy, he's going to take about 9% and put her in into annuity. That's, it's not going to work for you. As far as the yeah, REIT go. As far as REITs go, I'd, I'd stay away from private REITs. There's some people in radio and television who push these things because they have huge kickbacks. Yeah. Keep right. in mind, most people in radio and television pay to be on radio and television. You think of them as hosts. <laughs> you think of them as hosts, but you should think of them as commercials. With that said, well, some are good, some are not so good. Um, yeah. And you just have to be careful of product that people are pushing. So what I would consider... Yeah. What I would consider first and foremost is something like you take three years of what she needs in cash, 36000 times three, so $100,000, that $300,000 goes into some sort of cash or cash-like equivalent. And right. so that's three years. So the other money, the other 200000 is growing. So you put that in something like a low-cost exchange-traded fund or some sort of dividend achievers fund, which pays an income of 2% plus in dividend yields. But you also get the stocks that might appreciate. Hopefully, they appreciate. I would look at something like an S and P 500 value fund, um, or a dividend achievers fund. If you want to drop me an email, Lance, drop me an email, Rob at robblack.com. I'll send you some kind of ideas. Keep in mind, I don't know you, and you don't know me, and I don't know your age, your income, your assets, your liabilities, your time frame, your experience, things that are important in the world of financial matters. So it, it will just sure. be a quick, quick second opinion, but. Um, That's what I'd I'm be for. Yeah. I, I would be very cautious the way you're uh, you're approaching this for your mother right now because you don't want to mess it up for your mom, you know. Can, 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 yeah, and make, I got three brothers who are really chomping at the bit. We got to make a decision. She's losing interest, a thousand dollars a month in the three hundred k. And says, wait a minute, guys. We just need to make sure we make the right decision here. We don't want to lose any principal and get her stuck somewhere where the money is not available. Yeah, and your mom's in the worst situation from the quote-unquote low interest rates because, like you said, she wants to be safe. And, you know, 20 years yeah. ago, she could have put that money in the bank and done fine, but not so much today. Um, so I would look for some sort of value fund to cut down on the principal risk. Again, I would take three years and make that very much so a cash equivalent or like a, maybe a Ginny May fund 
which is pretty close to a cash equivalent. If I were to say there's one step above cash would be a Ginnie Mae fund, okay. um, where that's a government basically saying, we're going to buy mortgages, and your mom's going to get you know part of that play on the interest. Um, right. As long as our government's, I mean, our government hasn't failed that obligation yet, and let's say if they do, a lot of other poop's going to hit the fan, so to speak. So that's what exactly. I would consider. Um, <laughs> we'll, I consider we'll be eating food out of the backyard. <laughs> which isn't so bad. So keep in mind, I've got a lemon tree, a lime tree. I've got an orange tree in my backyard, so I'm okay. Um, good, good luck to you. you. Thanks for the call. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. That was Lance. He lives in the Valley. He's talking about his mom's retirement. Um, again, $300,000 at age 85 is a pretty good position to be in. His mother may or may not make it um, much longer. And that's not, I'm not saying his mom's going to die. I'm just saying, you know, average life expectancy, she's past it. So she's got enough money to last easily another eight years. But if she invests it wisely in a conservative manner, she's got enough to last another 10 plus years. And her spending should go down as she continues to age. Um, $5,000 a month seems like a lot for an 85-year-old, um, for me. Um, but, again, I don't know what where she lives or how active she is or anything along those lines, but you get the idea. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give me a call. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um Taking a look at the market action today, a little merged acquisitions fun going on. First quarter GDP was revised down to negative 1%, which is a recession. If we have two of those quarters in a row, which we won't, most of it was blamed on winter activity. Quiet action overseas today. Strength in tech, healthcare, consumer staples, weakness in industrials, financials, and, industri- uh, and utilities. Don't be shy. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. I'm Rob Black. Miles or more, trying to keep you off my mind. I've knocked on a thousand doors, I'm sure, just to see what I might find. I slept in the arms of a fallen angel crying. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically is by United Way and the Ad Council. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. Joining me now... Jonathan Marino from thestreet.com, thedeal.com, and various other publications tied towards that network. How are you, Mr. Marino? I'm doing all right, thanks. So we're talking a little Olive Garden today. I haven't been to an Olive Garden in like 10 plus years. I moved to the Bay Area and like, we don't like franchises out here. But what do we need to know? What are you working on? 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that um, you're probably right on with the Bay Area and, and probably a lot of other metropolitan areas are that we drive about the Olive Garden. It, it, it's a chain, and it kind of belongs out in the birds. And um, it, I, I would say that maybe the problem with the company, um, similar to Red Lobster, which the Darden company just sold, and you and I spoke about a long time ago, didn't you used to work at one? I did. I called it the Dead Lobster. It was it was awful. It was a, a horrific experience, but we move and on. I, I think for a lot of consumers, maybe, that's kind of what the Olive Garden has also come to represent, in a sense. It's a brand that's faded out a little bit. And there's so many other hot brands now that are just coming to market. I mean, you know, Potbelly's just went public, and it continues to expand. Um, you know, right now, Chipotle is another example of a company that's testing out a whole lot of different new areas, and they're making pizzas and stuff like that. So with so many new players coming into the market, I think that it's probably time for Olive Garden to maybe scale back its footprint a little bit. And at the end of the day, that's going to result in potentially getting sold from the Darden company if and when they have their annual shareholder meeting later this fall. So you think Olive Garden is potentially up for sale because Red Lobster just left, quote-unquote, Darden restaurants. And Darden restaurants owns a couple of brands. They own the Capitol Grill, Bahama Breeze, Seasons 52. Longhorn Steakhouse, Olive Garden's like their baby. You think that could get spun out? Well, here's the thing. I, I also kind of think in the same way that the Olive Garden and the Red Lobster have, have kind of split a little bit in terms of consumers' view in the U.S., the company itself has also gotten a little bit old. And unfortunately for the company, it's now named for Bill Darden, the founder of Red Lobster, which is no longer even affiliated with the business. And that's why the investors in the company, there are some hedge funds that have put money into the company. They're looking to break up the company entirely. So that just wouldn't mean selling off Red Lobster. That would also mean selling off businesses like Capital Grill, you know, the more, I guess, upscale brands and some of their newer brands, too. But right now, there are so many interested private equity investors. Uh, Golden Gate was obviously one that came and bought Red Lobster for $2.1 billion. Um, what they're paying in the space and what we're reporting on at the deal is that, you know, even the multiples are getting into the into the high single digits. And then once you get up into that range, it's almost kind of 2007 ever prices. Well, I think a lot of people get spooked at the idea of 2007, but for, for other people, I mean, their eyes should be lighting up in, in a sense. What went wrong with, like, a Darden Restaurants um, as far as a, a chain group goes? I I've personally always said you want to own restaurants for three years and then get out. Whether it's like a P.F. Chang's, you just see this phenomenal growth for three years, then it kind of it peaks. Uh, Cheesecake Factory, same kind of thing. Uh, what went wrong in Darden, in your opinion? I, I think it's, you know, people come to rely on a brand for, for things that they like. and. Okay. It's only going to go so far into the future. So they're continually trying to overhaul their menu. They're, they're you know, throwing stuff out there like polenta. But when there are new brands out there, and, you know, for example, the hamburger space has been red hot with tons of new brands. I mean, Shake Shack, Unami Burger, Fat Burgers, Expanding, Smash Burger. I mean, that, that's foreign. I could probably come up with a half a dozen if you gave me some time in Google. Um, there are so many newer brands out there that, that I guess are a little bit more appealing to the eye um, that it – it pushes, you know, the Olive Garden, Garden out of the scene. And when you, when people like, you know, you and me remember it as something that they were, that they affiliate with their childhood, and maybe it's something that you affiliate as also being outgrown from. I very much saw it grow it, and I, I think the space kind of outgrew companies like Darden. Like you said, you know, the Chipotle's, just the idea of going to a restaurant and not tipping is something that I think the millennials think about more so than Generation Xers is. The, are the millennials the problem for a company like a Darden? 
I think it's a really good point. I mean, the fact of the matter is their price points are so low at the Olive Garden. It, it might be the kind of a place that you would consider going to for, for a meal, I, I guess, on the same level of Pan- as Panera Bread. But those okay. price points aren't going to satisfy what the company needs in terms of revenue. So they're kind of in a little bit of a quandary where maybe their quality doesn't reflect what they would like to be. But at the same time, consumer tastes are shifting a little bit further down market, so maybe that's just where they want to go. And maybe they would actually be better off opening, you know, even more locations with maybe a simpler menu, like kind of like a Mickey D's almost of Italian food. Why would private equity be interested in something like a Darden? When I pull up a chart, it it doesn't look bad, but at the same time, there just seems to be so many better options. Why would private equity, why would venture capital be, or, you know, kind of uh, investment money be interested in it, per se? I don't think necessarily there would be VC money interested in it. And, and I, I agree. When you look at it, it, it it's more probably bad than good. I, I think to be kind of simpler, similar to Revlosphery, you have to scale back locations. And making these kind of operations focused plays is really where, where private equity tends to get involved. The other thing is, I mean, I, I don't know that there is necessarily a sense or a belief that running a group of restaurants as opposed to running restaurants as individual companies is, is a terrific idea. And right now that means that in kind of a, in a heavy or maybe even a toppy market, Garden can have an opportunity to realize a ton of value on all of these restaurants, but at the end, at the end of the day, there is leadership that would prefer to keep their stake in the company. And I, I think the people who want to maintain control of the organization might not be the leaders of it in a few years. Gotcha. What else do we need to know about some of the um, content that you put into a recent article? I'm speaking with Jonathan Moreno from The Street and TheDeal.com. What else is there left in this story? Well, uh, later this year, they're going to have to have their annual meeting. That could be September or even as late as October if the board chooses to delay. It's really been resisting meeting with the activist investors who want to replace the board and replace a lot of the executives who are running the company. Even when that happens, um, and if they're successful, and uh, at the deal we've reported in the past that um, some of the investors, including, um, I believe it's Starboard investors, ha- have gotten consensus of some of the other investors in the company, um, they may replace the board, and if and when that happens, that's going to create a ton of deal activity for the restaurant space because you'll have, you know, not just one, but potentially, you know, six, seven restaurants coming into the market, which is going to appeal from everybody, from, from the big firms like the KKRs in the world and so on that would invest in an olive garden to even all of the smaller ones that would spend, you know, somewhere in the 250 maybe up to $500 million range on Capital Grill. Now, I don't necessarily know that that's what the brand is worth. Okay. Thanks very much. It's Jonathan Moreno from TheDeal.com and TheStreet.com. He's recently written a piece on darted restaurants. Um, this is an interesting conversation. Whether you like the company or not, whether you like the food or not, Olive Garden, Red Lobster, uh, to me, and again, maybe I'm out of touch, and that's totally fair to accuse me of here, because I live in the Bay Area. I remember Olive Garden's when I was 20. I, I don't think I ever took a date to a not maybe, but it, it was low-end casual dining, and you'd have a waiter come, and you know the, the meals were seven to fourteen dollars, not you know fourteen to twenty-five dollars. So you know the quality has been the company's been attacked by you know copycats for sure. With that said, there is some value, especially if you downsize the company. And that's where the argument becomes very intriguing, and that's where Jonathan Moreno comes in at the street and the deal.com is, like, at some point, the stock does look bright. It does look right. 
Now, I can't imagine saying like, oh, I own this company because it's fast and growing. I think you would own it because you think a deal is going to happen. That's not always the best reason to own a stock because that's tied towards ifs and buts were candy and nuts or what a party would have. So be careful. That's what I throw out there for you. Be careful. Everyone, be, be careful out there. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money, investing, and much, much more. Uh, don't be shy. That's the number one thing that I throw out there on this show is don't be shy. Um, reach out, 800-516-1220. And websites like The Street and The Deal, they're great reads. As long as you can take a brain to them and say, let me think about what I'm seeing here. Like, when you see Jonathan Marino's article on Darden Restaurants, you may go, ooh, I want to buy that stock. Whereas maybe you should look at it and say, I want to think about what I own in my portfolio. Do I really want takeover plays? Because Darden Restaurants and Olive Garden, Olive Garden's kind of at a desperate place at this point in time. They're starting to introduce things like hamburgers, which for an Italian joint ain't exactly very Italian, if you know what I'm saying. So they're trying to move a little bit away. Um, and maybe like the Dardens even sometimes suffer from like Americans go on protein diets and less pasta kind of thing. There's some of that going on, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so you do want to be intelligible about how you approach this. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, U.S. economy contracted last quarter. First time in three years. It buckled on the weight of a severe winter where people stayed at home. And when you're staying at home, snowed in, you typically don't go out and actively spend money. Costco earnings were up in the wholesalers' third quarter, but they fell short of expectations. Income rose 3% to $473 million. That compares to the net income of about $459 million. Revenue is at Costco, $25.7 billion. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give me a call, 800-516-1220. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. So yesterday we announced the death of Maya Angelou. True story. And I got a piece of hate mail that went to management. I basically said Maya Angelou is one of the worst poets of our time, and for some reason we've cut her all the slack in the world 
because Oprah Winfrey endorsed her. She's a horrible poet. It's awful. From a poetry standpoint, that's what my commentary was. I studied little poetry, and when you start throwing down lists and you start using things that are easy versus tougher word choices, like you can use a phrase like a minstrel show, and we all know that's controversial. So it's really not that controversial or that thought-provoking. I just hate her. I hate her poetry. I hate that she could write five poems and sell them for twelve ninety-nine, when the average poet can't. Um, so I got a piece of hate mail, like, oh, too soon, too soon to be ragging on her, too soon to, like, I wasn't ragging on her, I was ragging on her poetry. And I think it's part of what comes with the territory when you do a morning show. Uh, you have to have opinions, and you have to have, be smart, and honestly, her poetry sucks. And if you like her poetry, it just shows that, you know, uh, we are a society of fast food lovers. She is to poetry what McDonald's is to chicken. Same thing. So Apple made it official yesterday. They announced a $3 billion cash and stock acquisition of Beats. This is an interesting one to me. Um, Beats is a high-margin headphone business. They've made wearing big, clunky headphones popular, which is kind of funny. Uh, in the sense of smaller, cheaper, faster, you know, more sleek. The question is, will Apple now have something that could be a competitive threat to Spotify or Pandora? Now, keep in mind, I think I think Apple should buy Pandora. In large part, Pandora owns about 11% of the radio market now. And I work in radio, and that hurts me to say out loud that people are just you know going to work, and they're logging on to their Pandora station, they're hitting go, and they're going with it for the rest of the day. The risk of Pandora from the combined Apple Beats entity is limited, ultimately because the fundamental structures of the service are different. Pandora garners 81% of their revenue from free ad-supported, non-interactive radio. Meaning that its primary business doesn't really come from the type of on-demand, any-song-at-any-time options presented by Beats. Pandora is already competing successfully with Apple in its core business, as the iTunes, Radio, and Match are directly comparable. What's worth noting here is, can Apple mash or mesh up Beats with its existing services, since Pandora is widely viewed as having a better music recommendation engine. So, is there going to be a halo effect here? What does happen to Pandora? What does happen to Spotify? Spotify is more of a direct competitor to Beats. Pandora is just very passive, and Spotify and Beats are very proactive. So Spotify's got a $4 billion valuation, and it's huge. Beats just got a $3 billion valuation, and it's tiny. So we'll watch. There's a billionaire founder, well, not a founder, but a billionaire owner who recently passed away, Malcolm Glazer. He owned the Manchester United. Controversial owner. He ran up a ton amount of debt. Third most valuable soccer team. Manchester United has you know, got a bit of a crisis going on at this point in time in the sense that they didn't have a good year. And that leads to next year their revenues will go down because they'll lose certain television coverages. So would I short Manchester United? 
I'd consider it if I was a guy who shorted stocks. Um, 85-year-old owner. It's worthy of note that you know he took on a lot of debt. And that's ultimately played to his favor, not necessarily shareholder favor. So Manchester United last year, record revenue, $193 million. That was up 26% year over year. There's a financial metric inside of this called EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization, up 60%. So, um, you know, in this day and age of sports, it's really not so much... It's really not so much uh, ticket sales as it is, you know, commercial deals. Google came out with a shocking study released today. Google revealed how very white and male their workforce is. Google employs just 2% black people, 3% Hispanic, and 30% women. They are a male-dominated society business. It's kind of interesting, right? 2% 2% black, 3% Hispanic. I don't know why that those numbers just seem so incredibly limited. So employers must file with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. They don't have to make that information public, but they chose to. They said, hey, we're a bunch of white people. That's one of the things I say in financial radio is I want more women and people of color to enter and become CFP, Certified Financial Planners. I had a friend last year who was a female. I was like, you would be awesome at this. Um, become a CFP, help women. Because no matter what I am, I'm not a woman. And no matter what I am, is if a woman's getting divorced, she's not going to come to me for advice. She's going to look for someone who looks like her. Some women come to me for advice during divorces, but not so much for financial information, if you know what I mean. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, poke, poke. Get what I mean, get what I mean, flashlight, flashlighting. So, no, um, I'd like to see more people enter this field, a more diverse set of people. Apparently with Google, too, huh? You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com, 800-516-1220. Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Got a big event coming up in Palo Alto in just a couple weeks. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. FeedingAmerica.org, brought to you by Feeding America. Sometimes I talk a little bit of focusing on wealth. Sometimes I talk a little bit about Wall Street, the economy and such. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I think one of the people that I want to mention, and I I think this is important to see analysts for what they are. They work for someone else. They don't work for you. So always look at analysts with kind of a leery eye. Look at people who are on CNBC with a leery eye because they manage other people's money, not your money. The one person that I like to follow is Mary Meeker, and she does a lot of key internet trends. She comes out with a lot of data, and she just released her 2014 data set. She sees internet users growing 10% year over year, but it's slowing. The fastest growth in the internet is happening in developing markets like India, Indonesia, and Nigeria. 20% growth in smartphones, but that too is slowing. Fastest growth in smartphones is in underpenetrated markets like China, India, Brazil, Indonesia. Tablets still up 52%. Um, very early stage rapid growth. Mobile data traffic up 
mobile data is being driven by more video. More video equals stronger growth. Global smartphone quarterly unit shipments, um, when you look at the curve, it's still curving. And that's a good thing. It's not flattening. So global smartphone operating systems made in the United States, 97% share. That's up from 5% eight years ago. The U.S. really does well with Apple, Android, and Windows as far as market share going on phones. Each big computing cycle has had 10 times the installed base of the previous cycle. And what's that mean? Mainframes had about 1 million units back in 1960. Many computers had about 10 million units in 1980. In 1990, the PC industry had about 100 million units in the, in the world. That seems small, right? The desktop internet in 2000 hit 1 billion plus users. Mobile internet has already hit 10 billion users. More than just phones, mobile is tablets, e-readers, MP3 players, in-dash car electronics, cameras, portable consoles, home entertainment, and appliances. The advertising monetization component in mobile is very, very compelling. Internet advertising remains incredibly strong, up 16% year-over-year. Mobile's up 47%. Facebook's doing very, very well in this market. Now, one of the areas that I think is is a a problem is cyber threats. I used to have an eBay account. Last week, eBay got hacked, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to close it. That cyber threat just made me think, you know what? I, I need to start closing some of these accounts. That's bad news. Now, I might have used eBay once in the last three years. Well, now I'm going to use them zero times in the next three years. The number of active threat groups are rising rapidly. There's a company that does security called Mandiant. And these threat groups now number about 300. That's up fourfold from 2011. A lot of vulnerable systems placed on the Internet comprised in less than 15 minutes. It's thought that some 95% of all networks have been comprised, compromised in some sort of way. So as mobile platforms grow, direct attacks can arise. So we need to always think about that. Tech companies, valuation, excessive, yes, in some of it. But you're looking for patterns. So, uh, tech IPOs in 2013 are about 73% below the 1999 peak. So, that's telling you that, yeah, a lot of companies are coming public right now, but not as bad as we think. Their volumes are less than impressive, but their costs, the revenues are pretty impressive. Um... The S&P 500 is a reflection, in theory, of corporate America, right? Just work with me on that one. So back in 2000, tech companies comprised about 35% of the S&P 500. Now it's about 18%. So that's considerably lower. 
it's not as dangerous as people are making it sound like in the media. Education is important. Education is expensive in the United States. Secondary school costs. The United States ranks fourth globally in expenditure per student. Higher education costs. Um, over 70% of four-year grads in college courses have over $30,000 debt. $1 trillion in student debt now for college students. That exceeds credit card debt and auto loan debt put together. Education results often are subpar. We have very expensive schools that we go to, whether it's publicly and how we're taxed on them or whether it's our college costs. But we rank 27th globally in math, 20th in science, 17th in reading. That's not good. Consider we're spending fourth in the world on our students. We're not getting a good bang for our buck. One-third of our four-year college graduates feel their education didn't prepare them well for their employment. Again, I get probably one good piece of hate mail a week, and a couple months ago, a woman got mad at me because I said, you know, don't go and get a degree in poetry. Don't go and get a degree in English. She's like, I make six figures. I work in the city. I'm like, okay, you're the exception. You're not the rule. And, you know, I hate to say it, but I don't even know how you got the job. You know, it could have been a situation where someone liked you or you were friends with somebody, more so than your English degree got you that job. Eight in ten Americans say education issue is extremely important to them. So we're going to see more and more direct-to-consumer teacher allowing education products to receive rapid mass adoption. Education startup costs are declining. Graduation rates in the United States are rising. 81% of high school freshmen graduated in 2012. That's up from 74% five years ago. I would have thought the number higher. Doesn't it seem like almost every American has a high school diploma, or should? It's shocking to me that that number is only 81%. Then again, I'm basing it on my life and not someone else's life. Um, 35 million teachers, students, and parents are using some class dojo to improve student behavior through real-time feedback. Duolingo is a phrase that is uh, bumping up. Um, healthcare, a big play on the Internet for sure. Of the $2.8 trillion that we spend as a nation on healthcare. 27% of it's considered wasted. 210 billion in unnecessary services, 190 billion in excessive administration, 55 billion dollars in missed prevention opportunities, 310 billion in inefficient delivery of care and inflated prices. You can find me online at robblack.com. Got a seminar coming up with CFP Chad Burton. You can learn more about that in Palo Alto by going to robblack.com. It's robblack.com. 800-516-1220. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
Netflix made a shocking announcement today. Okay, maybe not. Netflix is further in its relationship with DreamWorks Animation, picking up two new seasons of children's television show based on How to Train Your Dragon film franchise. So DreamWorks committed to bring about 300 hours worth of original programming to Netflix in two weeks before How to Train Your Dragon 2 hits in theaters. How to Train Your Dragon is going to be a big movie for DreamWorks. Um, it's kind of got some adult humor in it, so parents don't mind going. On top of that, they've kind of cultivated this TV show on um, streaming that people are interested in. So Netflix and rivals like Amazon and Hulu have been competing to have the best selection of show for kids. Um, TV is kind of like a babysitter for kids, and thus for $8.99 or $99, whatever it is you pay for Netflix, it's kind of like having a little babysitter. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Now joining me today, CFP Chad Burton. How are you? Excellent, Rob. What does the CFP do? Oh, boy. What does well, it stand for? Certified Financial Planner. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you gotta have you go through five courses, essentially. Taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. You have to take a test in each course before you can move on to the next one. And then you take a 10-hour final exam. Really? 10 hours? Yeah. Now, when I did it, was given over two days. Now, I've heard they've, they're doing it over one day now. But um, it's 55% pass rate nationally. Okay. So you get a lot of disappointed people after the first try. And do they usually get right second try? Like SATs. I remember when I went to high school many, many, many years ago, you got to blend your scores. You got to take your best math and your best English. Right? Someone asked me. I don't even remember taking the SATs. You probably did it. You were a gifted athlete. <laughs> you got to ride your way into college. Oh uh, no! And it's um, it, it, you do get a chance. Yes, you do get to take it again. Okay. So, but do people pass? I, the I passed time? it on the first time. I've got five CFPs. All but one of them passed it on the first time. Okay. Um, and then so it's given. I think every November and then every six months. If you fail it a second time, I believe there's some other rules. I haven't looked at it honestly lately for uh, for a while in terms of how many times you can fail it and then how long you have to wait next time. But once you do pass the test, you cannot use the designations yet. Okay. You have to have three years working experience, and now you have to have a degree. Now three years working experience, not at Seven Eleven. No, you have to have in the business. Okay, so like a para planner. Period planner, yeah, associate advisor. Okay. Yep, you got it. Now, with that said, what's the difference between a CFP and like a stockbroker or a financial, um, you know, someone at Solomon Smith Barney who calls himself a first vice president or something you like that? You have vice president of the southeast region of Kansas City. <laughs> something like that. Bogus. Yeah. Bogus, but people don't realize that. Yeah, yeah. The vice president thing is a, it's ridiculous in this industry. I'm vice president of Salem Radio. <laughs> right now, this hour, Whoops. we're both vice president, right? Um, <laughs> difference between a broker. And Are there even stockbrokers left anymore? I mean, when I was in the yeah. business, yeah, yeah. The, oh, there we go. That's, that's right. and I, there's there, my alarm. There's actually other people that I know in the industry. Um, I know people on my street who use Ameriprise financial planners. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's the worst thing you could do. Let me give you a story okay. of that one, and. So, somebody I very close to the family um, finally pulling the trigger on retirement. I said, "Well, at least let me look at what you have." I, do, I don't like taking on friends and family. Of course not. As, I understand that. Yeah, because the last thing I want to do. Expectations are unrealistic. Not only that, but it dominates the conversation. Okay. So, 
barbecuing, putting some steaks on, having a couple of beers. I don't want to talk money on the weekends. You know, I I do it 60 hours a week. So I said, well, at least let me look at who you're working with, because I, I, I based on some of the things that I'd heard, like this just doesn't sound right. And the advisor was saying, yeah, you can retire. Go ahead and retire. You're going to be fine. And the reason why is because they were a commission-based advisor, and they were going to get paid five six percent of the rollover amount. Ah, so it's like a 401k, 403b. So, I mean, they see this big rollover amount, so they will blow smoke in places that you don't want them to blow smoke because they're doing it because that's when they get paid is that initial rollover. They get paid all up front because they're commission-based advisors. And unfortunately, some CFPs, certified financial planners, are also commission-based. And I think that there's a big push in our industry to not allow that. Um, So because our industry, really, most of the certified financial planners – Act as fiduciaries. We are forced. We we set up firms so that we are acting in the best interest of the client, putting the client first, charging either hourly fees, flat fees, or annual fees based on what we're managing. And in this situation, the guy was going to tell her to retire too soon because he was so looking forward to this big commission check on the rollover, on loaded mutual funds that are A shares, annuities that had seven eight year surrender charges. Um, and, you know, yeah, you might be okay on your income next 10, 15 years, but once inflation kicks in and you realize that you're not able to keep up with the value of the dollar, which over time is cut in half every 18 years, it was setting this person up for a retirement that once they get into the mid-80s, their lifestyle drastically declines. And if they ever have any kind of health care cost issues, like long-term care, home health care needs, they were going to be in a horrible position. People can find you at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Don't be shy. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. Um, you know, Apple buying Beats, trying to regain some music mojo. Eddie Q, one of the executives at Apple, said that, you know, we've got the best pipeline in 25 years. We better start seeing some of that because the year is almost halfway over, and we've been talking about this best pipeline in so many years for quite a while, whole year. So we're going to see some sort of refresh on, I think, the Apple TV hardware. Will it just be faster, more storage? What will it be? We don't know. We'll see some sort of refresh for sure. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can hear my show from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., Mondays through Fridays, here on KDOW, AM 1220. You can hear CFP Chad Burton's new focus on wealth, Monday through Friday, from 1 to 2 p.m. What do we have to talk about? As far as big stories go today, I don't think anything's... I, I think the story that's not a story was GDP. You know, we saw GDP shrink in the first quarter. We knew we had a rough winter. We've already seen one number of GDP out, so this was a revision to gross domestic product. Seeing it shrink doesn't make me feel good, but it's also passed, and I'm not all that stressed by that, if that makes any sense at all. There's an interesting twist on insurance companies right now. I'll talk about that when we come back from break. Companies like MetLife, Manulife, should you invest or not? I'll talk a little bit about that and the biggest problem that they're going to have. I'll go over some of the top stories as well. Find me online at robblack.com. Money, investing, and more. 
anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Hulu is going to do Community for a season six. It seems like just because something's canceled doesn't mean it's canceled anymore, right? Um, so the Hulus and the Netflixes have been able to find some shows that have strong followings, like The Killing from AMC, and give them a little bit more life. That's kind of a business model, right? 800-516-1220 to get your calls in there. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. I pride myself on trying to do a show that's relatable. So help me help you make it relatable. What's on your financial mind? How much money do you have? That's a question you should be able to answer almost immediately. How much money do you have? What are you, what are you worth? I bring this up in large part because I think we only have so much time until we die. So much time until we retire. So much time to earn money. I was talking with um, a marketer yesterday. And she's 32 and lives in San Diego. And she recently got engaged. And we were talking about children. And uh, we were talking about how expensive they are. From age 0 to 17, a child's going to cost you about $250,000. Then if you want to pay for their college, it's another $250,000. A little bit more if you do private schools and things like that. So when you make a baby, it's $500,000. That's pretty crazy, right? That's a big number. I throw it out there because I want people to start thinking about that. If you could start thinking a little bit differently of how much money do you need in retirement? I use the example of let's say you make $100,000 a year. You're going to make $4 million in your lifetime before you spend a penny of it. Your lifetime is age 2060. Now, what happens if you spend $40,000 a year in retirement? So 10 years of retirement is going to cost you $400,000. 20 years, $800,000. 30 years, $1.2 million. I think we could all agree that 40000 is a number that might be somewhere around, you know, okay to start with. I don't think you want to live off much less. Retirement income via Social Security is going to be about 20000 So I think you need at least $400,000 last 10 years of retirement, and then maybe you just die. That may get you from 62 to 72, and maybe you just die and it's perfect, 400000 But what if you don't? So then you're starting to think, okay, so now I see why Rob uses numbers like you need $1 million to retire. So same thing in retirement language as as in investment language is go backwards. Just, you know, if you make $100,000 a year, 10 years, it's a million dollars. 40 years from age 20 to 60 when you're working, that's $4 million. Do the same thing with going backwards. Like I plan to spend $40,000 a year in retirement And I look at Social Security, and most financial planners look at Social Security as a push at best, i.e., it may cover some health care costs, and that's about it. Humbling, huh? 
No. No, says my French friend. No. Interesting thing happened in the world of insurance. And I'm always fascinated by the millennials. They're delaying their plans to die. And that hurts insurers. Young adults wait longer to start families, and thus they wait longer to start planning for death. When you're 20-ish and you got a dog or a girlfriend, you're like, I don't know if I die. Does she need money? Whatever. That's how most people think. But once you have a wife and kid, you're like, ooh, sweet, I better get some life insurance just in case. So companies like MetLife, Manulife, they're expanding into regions in Asia and Latin America trying to get, you know, asset management retirement planning in communities that are, you know, still going after children. So the millennials are a tough group to communicate with. They want lifestyle. Individual life insurance sales in the U.S. slipped 45% to 9.7 million policies. Let's say that again. Individual life insurance sales slipped 45% in 2012. Holy... If I could use a curse word, I would. That's down from a high of 17.7 million in 1983. About 18% of people aged 18 to 29 have life insurance. I didn't have life insurance from 18 to 29. 43% of baby boomers. So you can kind of see where it goes. Colleges and internet obviously are going to play a big issue here. Insurers have been investing at much heavier pace in the past 12 to 18 months to reach that population of 80 million people born from 1980 to 2000, known as the millennials. It's a pretty big market for the insurance companies. While people can lock in lower annual rates by starting coverage as young adults, potential customers are taking longer to reach the milestones that typically you know, trigger that. So the median age for a woman in the United States to have their first marriage is 27. Back in 1950, it was 21. For men, it's jumped all the way to age 28. So people put their lives on hold. And when they put their lives on hold due to the job market or due to whatever reason, it pushes insurance out. So MetLife, big insurance company, they're trying to focus on overseas growth because Shifting consumer preferences in the United States. So that's interesting to note to me. I don't know if it's interesting to note to you, but it's damn interesting to me. A couple of the things I want to talk about as far as the Internet goes, because I started this in the first segment. Uh, It's interesting to note, like, WhatsApp and what they're doing. Monthly average users on WhatsApp, 400 million. That's up 100% year over year. Message per day, 50 billion. That's up 178%. So Chinese company called Tencent WeChat. Monthly average users up 125% year over year. Now sitting at 355 million. Viber in Israel, monthly average users, 100 million. So you're sort of seeing some pretty big numbers in what I'm trying to get at with you. So broadcasting fewer messages to a larger audience is Facebook, whereas Snapchat, Viber, is frequent interactions with smaller groups. So apps need to be 
and Facebook's opinion unbundled. So it kind of becomes a multi-purpose mobile app. So you're trying to see Facebook unbundle some of their applications inside of Facebook so that you know they can show monthly number of users elsewhere. Uh, there's some apps that are disappearing altogether. We're entering the age of apps as service layers. These apps you have on your phone, not only are they open when you know they explicitly have something to say to you, but that's the idea there. They're, they're not for idle browsing. They're purpose-built. Whether it's something like Dark Sky, Woot, W-U-T, uh, Runkeeper Breeze. So predicative computations is what we're trying to see media go towards on Internet. Social media traffic referral leaders, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter. So of the global market for referrals, Facebook gets 21%, Pinterest 7%, Twitter 1%. So distribution of information, pretty big. When you open Facebook today, and I know you will, take a look at some of the things inside your news feed and where, where is news being published today? Facebook publishing of news is different than Twitter's publishing of news. Facebook heavily relies on BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, ABC News, Fox News, NBC. Whereas Twitter, a little bit more about the BBC, the New York Times, CNN, Time, Forbes. So very different sources of news. I love Twitter as an aggregation of news service. I don't tweet to my friends. I think my friends would think I'm a douche if I tweet it to them. They'd be like, you are such a suck-up 1980s faux wannabe dude. My favorite grocery store, Piggly Wiggly. Who can't but smile when you say the word Piggly Wiggly? So Amazon Fresh and Instacart are making big pushes into the grocery store world. Groceries change and cabs are changing, whether it's Lyft or Uber. Lyft and Uber killing the cabbie industry. B2B's killing the hotel industry. Not killing it. Bringing some new competition to it. You can find me online at robblack.com, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show, Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, and more. Welcome in. Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. I keep coming back to this Apple story that, you know, they announced the Beats deal, and part of the Beats announcement, they had an executive, Eddie Q, he's Senior Vice President of the Internet Software and Services, said there's new products just around the corner, and they're going to be pretty good. He says, we've got, quote-unquote, the best product pipeline I've seen in 25 years of Apple. Um, and we've seen some pretty good game-changing products, like the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, MacBook Air. I own shares of Apple. And I think it's a fascinating company from the product standpoint. It's so big. And we talk about it because, again, the story of it... The stock, I think, has had its best days. 
I think you can get a little bit of mojo with some new products, but in the end, it's going to be valued ultimately by Wall Street as a company. And how big can it get versus where they are now? Costco doesn't look like it's cheap enough. Costco came out with good earnings, but people are worried about it. Costco's wholesale finance chief talking about, you know, how do you target young people, urban people, health-conscious people? How do you get you know, the service to people? Like, I don't have a Costco membership. I've got an Amazon Prime membership. Kind of the same thing to me. And Costco can't win the battle with me because I'm like, yeah. So Costco's got a fee-based model. Walmart has a fee-based model. It's their Sam's Club. So take a look at the competition, and that's where you start, like, figuring out where there's growth or isn't growth. I was talking with the financial planner yesterday, CFP Chad Burton, and he's like, I don't want to own any company ever that competes with Amazon. It's an interesting piece of commentary. I think... Um, I think you succeed or fail in the world of investing based on statements like that. I think it's kind of important that you grasp that, that you have some statements that you totally believe in. 800-516-1220 calls in there. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money investing and or more. Dish Network's going to accept Bitcoin payments. Bitcoin's been on a bit of a tear recently. Dish said it's going to begin accepting Bitcoin as payment in the third quarter. The satellite TV service said it would be the biggest company to accept the virtual currency. Choice and convenience is what they have to say. I find that eh, it's one of the stories like, it's interesting. So I can't jump up and down on that, but it's interesting. So and it certainly helps Bitcoin. Twitter share flies. The sentiment on users are starting to shift. I mentioned yesterday on this show that Twitter people are too pessimistic on it, and at seventy dollars it wasn't very interesting. When it IPO'd at forty. It was way above the, the ass, so it goes from 40 to 70 to 30. So Twitter said that they've added fewer users than expected recently. But they're growing its base at a faster rate. may not be that big of a deal after all. If Twitter has less emphasis on growth and more on monetization, Twitter's user engagement metrics in the first quarter were impressive, up double digits year over year. But when compared to Facebook, at roughly the same time, Facebook was growing triple digits. So, I personally think that the stock has play up to about $40, $45. Now, they've already gone through one lockup, which is ultimately good. Because in this argument, you don't want to own an IPO in the first year, as you want some insiders to let go of their shares first so that you don't kind of catch a salmon kind of, you know, going in the wrong direction play. A little bit tougher to win when that happens. Uh, 
S&P 500 sets more records. More records. It's interesting. I spoke with Patrick O'Hare earlier this week, and we talked about how the S&P 500 doesn't feel like a party. It's kind of been up, down, up, down, up, down, but it's trending higher this year because we're at record highs. Dow Transport's record highs. Dow Jones Industrial Average, you know, close to record highs. Um, Ten-year Treasury, 2.42%. That's very positive for the stock market, and it could allow the market to run even higher this year than expected. I was expecting 8 to 10% this year. Based on the money that was cheap is starting to look less cheap, but it became super cheap again. It's not down to one six. It's not going there. But at two four, it's pretty damn cheap. When money on the ten years starts to get around three and a half, three four percent, that's when it's like, ah, I'm gonna. Uh, not only am I predicting ten percent earnings, but I'm now going to say, you know, hey, there may not be that much upside in these stocks because the cheap money's gone. But we're not there. You can find me online on Facebook, Cron4 Rob Black. You can find me at Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Don't be shy, pick up the phone, give me a call, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.